This week on Rotten or Righteous, we ask the question, well, what do you think happens when we die? Not this. Not this. Welcome back to Rotten Righteous, the abscessed tooth of podcasting. With me today, as always, not since the Mueller scandal of 42 has anything like him happened. He's Luke Taylor. Hola, Luke. Why didn't you tell me you were having trouble at school, Scott Judge? And me? (laughs) Well, I am learning to hop from my buttocks. I'm Zach Geiler. Today we are watching the 1997 Wonderful World of Disney original, Toothless, starring Christy Alley. The movie opens with the song Sugar Sugar by the Archies playing because this is a movie about dentists, and dentists hate sugar. See what they did there? Wow, this is going to be precious. Ah, sugar, sugar. When did that song come out? Scott was 12. Was it back in the 60s? I don't know. I'm I'm not all, I, believe it or not, I'm not all up to date on my Archie's trivia. I think it was the 60s. Right away, we meet Catherine as an emotionally repressed masochist who's been brainwashed by her mother to feel that going to the dentist is fun. Catherine right now is a small child, and it's the anniversary of Catherine's father's death. So naturally, they need to go to the dentist, so Catherine cannot, will not, and does not come to terms with her father's passing ever. Other warning signs that young Catherine is, at the very least, uh, a child that is showing sociopathic tendencies brought on by early childhood trauma that was never properly dealt with are the following. When she gets to the dentist, she vocalizes her desire to to get a root canal. She asked for a gum retractor to perform dental surgery and she believes that the sound of dental tools is music to her ears. This child doesn't need a checkup on her teeth. She needs a psychiatrist. Yep, yep. You know, I asked my dentist one time. I was like, what would possess you to become a dentist? <clears throat> because, <clears throat> obviously, it's not a profession for everybody. And she was like, well, I grew up on a farm, and I always liked fixing things and tinkering with things and using my hands. It's like, And I wanted <laughs> to do that as a doctor. So I became a dentist. <laughs> so it was like, a dentist or a mechanic? <laughs> it's like an engineer, maybe? I mean, yeah, or a mechanic or... Uh, 1973, by the way, and I should have known that because I was three. Come on, Scott. You're mm. so old. Slipping in my old age. Did you ever I... fax stuff, Scott? Or oh, did that oh. ever happen in your life? Oh what yeah. Was, what was that like? You... What was faxing things like? It was annoying. Was it magical? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was horrible. We got that high pitched squeal. I'll fax that right over to you. 
Well, that's because you always <laughs> get that poor pig with a fax machine. I know. You can't show. Speaking a of piece pigs, of- <laughs> yeah, I was on a hike the other day. Lots of things happen on hikes. You lose your hats and stuff. And uh, yeah, there's wild boars around here, and they like eat people's crops. And uh, I was walking on this trail, and I was like, something smells. And I just kept walking, and the wind was blowing pretty hard. And I walk up, and I take this real nice photo of these hills. And then I look down beside me, and there's this, like, swollen, dead boar that's just rotting in the grass. What do you mean literally beside you? Like, right beside your feet? Yeah, so I was on these. Uh, I was on some hills, and there's like this tall grass that grows all over the place. And usually, there's only like a like a slender trail to get through it. And so this thing was like underneath the grass, like probably a f- two feet from the from my feet. Wow! And I looked down, and I was like, "What is that?" <laughs> and then I realized it was a rotting, swollen pig. <laughs> so you're you're telling me it probably turned too much to get you a little tenderloin. Uh yeah, I think it was a little past that point. Thought about some pulled pork maybe, but it was yeah. uh, the flies had had gotten the majority of him. Well, or flies her. need to eat too. Do you like carry a weapon or anything in case the the pig attacks you? Uh no, I probably should. Actually, I could probably use my camera tripod. That would that might slay a, a pig, a swine. Yeah. I- Mm-hmm. Whatever I, I helps you, you to sleep. do some field research, and uh, I want you to try to fell uh, a wild boar with a c- camera tripod uh, this week and come well, back and report. Well, you won't be able to come back and report, but I'd like you to try. <laughs> <laughs> it's the thought that counts. I'll do my best. Actually, you know, you get those like uh, you can get spiky tips to your tripod, so it sticks in the ground. So I feel like I'm I'll stand a pretty decent chance. And spiky tips <laughs> brings us right back to the 90s. Everyone had haircuts <laughs> and spiky tips. Yes, they did. All right. <sighs> so Kathleen, or, or Catherine is a young sociopath who grows up to uh, becoming a dentist. Uh, obviously, she loved dentistry as a child for some reason, and she grows up to being a dentist. But the problem is... Because she was never able to deal with her dad's passing because her mom thought, I know what I'll do on the anniversary of my husband's death every year, take my child to get her gum scraped. She has the inability to open herself up to romantic love because she fears losing someone who is close to her again. But again, Catherine doesn't have time to worry about this because she is the best dentist in this most adorable Norman Rockwell Americana fantasy dream that you ever did see. It was beautiful. She is aloof when it comes to the personal life of those around her, especially her receptionist. But she has too many people to orally punish for her own pain to focus on her shortcomings. Catherine is so antisocial towards others that her best friend in the whole world is worried that she'll end up alone. Because this is the 90s, and that was the biggest concern women had back then. Well, we didn't have uh, Tinder. You couldn't swipe right at all. You literally had to go meet people. I would probably still be single. No, you wouldn't. Shut up. They would have, if you were a mature man in the 90s, they would have invented Tinder to get with you, Luke. (laughs) That's right. 
And you can't argue with me. That. I'd That's be like bad. that bald guy in the beginning. Like, hey, I have tickets to the opera if you would like to come and see them. <laughs> as the Novocaine <laughs> takes it on. And then she, dentist just keeps shoving more and more dental instruments into my mouth until I spit on her floor. While walking into work one morning, her receptionist tells her that an early appointment canceled. This means that Catherine has time to run to the bank. And if going to the dentist is her version of Christmas, I can only imagine that Catherine equates dealing with bankers with her birthday. But sadly, we will never know. Because as she crosses the street to the bank, Catherine's best friend, Wendy, calls out and waves. Unbeknownst to Catherine, when she waves back, she was not only greeting her friend, but her own mortality. The movie slows down to super slow motion, and remember, this is a 90s TV movie, so it just looks awful. And we see a distracted bicycle rider coming down the street. He looks up, his mouth agape in fear, cut to Catherine, frozen in shock, then to a Volvo slamming on its brakes, back to the bike who's trying to stop, cut to Wendy who turns around to see the commotion, cut to the bike, cut to Catherine, cut to the car now blaring its horn, cut to Wendy as she begins to run, back to Catherine as we hear the squeal of brakes in a collision, and the scene fades to white. By the way... She going. The way they shot this made it look like Catherine only had 37 minutes to get out of the way of the car. Yeah, I know. I kept thinking, why didn't you just turn the wheel? (laughs) I couldn't figure out who was going to die here. It's like, is it going to be the bicyclist? Is she murdering the bicyclist? I I don't think a car hitting a pedestrian because a bicyclist is distracted counts as the pedestrian murdering the bicyclist. I'm a little rusty. It's... on my rules of the road, but I'm pretty sure that somewhere in that booklet I had to memorize to get my temporary license in Ohio, it said, hey, if you're crossing the street and a distracted bicyclist uh, is hit by a car, it's probably not your fault, pedestrian. Well, as you may have observed, she was in the middle of the street after having committed a jaywalking violation. There's no such thing as jaywalking (laughs) in Norman Rockwell's Americana Fantasy Dreamland. Catherine finds herself in a desert, looking at several stainless steel Airstream campers parked in a semicircle. Each is labeled with a different word. We have a trailer named Judgment, another one named Uniform Pickup and Job Placement, another one called Training, another one Community Services, and finally, the last one, The World. We also see a wrought iron antique elevator labeled Elevator, with a big red button on the outside labeled Down. Opposite the elevator, there is a white movable staircase, like the one you might see outside of a small personal jet. This is labeled Stairway to Heaven, with a big blue button that says, Up. Catherine is clearly confused, and she comes across a deli take-a-number machine. She pulls out her ticket, and comes to the realization that she is very dead. This, of course, causes her to freak out a little bit, but unfortunately there's a kind uh, official standing by the deli ticket taker, and she tells Catherine to take a seat, get a moment to gather herself, and then as soon as Catherine sits down, the official goes, now that you've had a moment to grieve, occupation please. (laughs) After telling the official that she's a dentist, she is told to go to the ivory room and given a tiny map and an umbrella. Why she's given an umbrella, I don't know, and it never comes up again. 
<laughs> Seemed like the thing to do at I the mean, time. I, I was watching this yesterday right in the review for the second time. I was like, okay, I understand the map. Why did she just hand her own umbrella? Why? <laughs> and why does that never come up again? <laughs> it could be the sun was hot. It yeah, was but it's not like everybody everybody's walking around with umbrellas. Yeah, but this is Kirstie Alley. She's special. It's Catherine, probably a plot point that ended up getting cut out. Maybe. Catherine is studying this tiny map about the size of a... What did you say? Two by four post postcard or note card? Yeah, about well, that. About one of those cut in half. <laughs> Catherine is studying this tiny map, trying to get her bearings when the militaristic Rogers approaches her. Rogers is a tall woman with a tight, curly updo and a stoic, no-nonsense expression written on her face. After greeting Catherine, the two stop for a moment to witness a small ceremony. A bald man dressed in a black suit is trapped in the elevator and pleading for another chance as the marching band is playing Chopin's Funeral March. Rogers is sadistically enjoying the show when the down button is pressed and the begging and pleading man is sucked <laughs> into the sandy abyss of his eternal damnation. As a child... Well said. As a child... I'm not joking, guys. This scene has stayed with me more than I even realized. This has got to be one of my earliest memories of being truly terrified of something. Why were you it terrified is... of the elevator? Think about I it. I agree, actually. It's kind of like... Uh... Like, it's meant to be a joke, obviously, for probably people that aren't that religiously minded. But I feel like it's kind of a terrible scene if, like, you actually believe in hell. Right. Well, that there's that. So it's terrifying as an adult. But I first saw this movie when I was before my fifth birthday. And all I saw was this wrought iron elevator with somebody trapped in it wanting to get out only to have the sand of a desert open up underneath him and watching this poor man begging and pleading as he is slowly sucked down into it. It <laughs> terrified me as a child to the point where I was still filled with existential dread watching it as an adult. <laughs> is that what converted you to Christ? <laughs> no, but it is what... I, I, I don't remember anything or how it affected me, but I do have that early memory of being terrified of this scene and then watching it uh, nearly two decades later was... It's just as terrifying. It just awoken a, a primal fear in me I didn't know existed. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to watch this and be totally fine, all right? I'm 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 almost 30. I can handle the elevator. Uh, I, I watched it. I had, no. to pause, I had to pause the movie and take a little break. I was... Uh, <laughs> it was a weird emotional response that uh, I, I really can't put into words, but it was there and did, it was real. Did you talk to your dad about it? Did you did you say, Dad, is this how it happens? No, Scott. We watched this movie on the Wonderful World of Disney one night, and then I just lived with it for the rest of my life. Locked in the subconscious of my brain, only to have it unlocked again because of this stupid podcast. 
Is it possible that after all these years, we have actually uncovered what is wrong with you? No. If anything, it's the elevator. If anything, it's just the tip of the iceberg. After that horrifying image, Catherine walks beside Rogers as the hard-nosed military woman explains that Catherine is in limbo a place where people wait to be judged suitable for heaven or hell, depending on how one chose to spend one's life. Catherine has to wait to learn her final destiny because she has a glaring blemish on her record. According to Rogers, this blemish is the fact that she was a dentist, which I kind of agree with. (laughs) I agree, too. I hate the dentist. That's why I don't go. I'm just going to let all my teeth fall out. Uh, and get Liberty well, Silver trust dollars. me, that's more realistic than what you may know. While she waits for judgment, Catherine is required to perform community service, and how she performs will ultimately be the deciding factor on whether Catherine's immortal soul goes up or down. While Catherine could spend her time in limbo being the personal dentist to Genghis Khan, she decides on a different type of service, <laughs> namely <laughs> by cuspid retrieval. Rogers explains <laughs> that the previous soul that worked in this position had been fired, pun intended. So the job's all <laughs> hers if she wants it. Catherine signs up and immediately regrets her decision as she realized that she had just become the new tooth fairy. I wonder if that, you know, in, in today's society, that would be debated for the political correctness. The bicuspid, what was it, retriever? Yeah. Or the tooth fairy? That was one of my favorite, uh, that was one, that's my favorite breed of dog, the bicuspid retriever. Yeah. Uh, distant a, relation to the golden retriever. Just a furry tooth. How was that? Um, how, how would that change in 2021, 20, Scott? I don't think it I'm would. I think sure. Scott was trying to make a, a relevant joke that was hip to the modern times, and so he said some buzzwords and then realized he had nowhere to go with the concept and then gave up halfway through. <laughs> he fell flat on his face and lost all his teeth in the process. Catherine is next seen in uniform, which is a pink frilly number that looks as if every Disney princess's gown ever put on screen vomited and somehow sculpted that vomit into this abomination. An unhappy Catherine is shuffled to another trailer, which magically opens up to a large gym run by Raoul, a small and sassy black man, because it's the 90s and your movie had to have one of those. Raoul is just finishing up her training. What do you mean, Kevin Hart? Kevin Hart's in <laughs> That's true. In all it, our yeah, basically, movies. this is an unfa- unsuccessful 90s version of Kevin Hart. <laughs> See, life hasn't really changed in the last 30 years. Uh, <laughs> Raul is just finishing up training the new Easter Bunny, teaching him to jump from the buttocks. He then hands Catherine a magic wand and teaches her to hum the following song Bump, bump. Bump, 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 bump. Apparently, this song, which is hummed about a thousand times in this movie, along with a few choreographed arm movements, is how you fly. Catherine puts her hands up in the air as a Y, 
brings them down to her side, and immediately she levitates above the ground. And the training session ends with her crashing into a wall with the promise to learn how to stop during their next le- lesson. Can I say that the budget of this movie must have been like nothing? Yeah. Even was, the spaces that they had, they didn't even fill with props. <laughs> it was a wonderful world of Disney television movie. This was. This oh, was, was it? Yeah, this was pre Marvel, pre Lion King, or pre. Uh, it would have been right after the Lion King. So they haven't had the influx of Lion King cash. They were struggling. Uh, I see. Too yeah, bad they're I do, not still struggling. I do like the fact that that entire scene was filmed with what appeared to be uh, a cinematographer or cameraman's first day on the job, and all he was given was like a Sony Handycam, and they were just like, hey, <laughs> will you kind of walk back and forth among these people and make sure you shake the camera as much as possible as you do this? <laughs> And he did a great job at that, too. And, and to his credit, he does keep everyone in focus. Hey, he's got that up on uh, Borrowed Christmas. Catherine leaves the trailer, and she's immediately confronted by Rogers, where old Sourpuss reiterates the number one role. Catherine is not allowed to interfere with the lives of any mortals. Rogers then roughly escorts Catherine into the trailer-marked community service. In this building, several mythical beings work in their offices there. These mythical beings include some that kind of make sense, seeing as Catherine's the new book or the new uh, 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 tooth fairy. We have, you know, Cupid, the Sandman, Father Time, the Easter Bunny, Santa. But uh, another another being that doesn't make sense as far as the concept they set up is. Uh, the boogeyman. How 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 do you come to limbo and you're trying to earn your way into heaven or hell? And they're like, "All right, great, you're the new boogeyman. Uh, your job is to live underneath children's beds and jump out and scare them." How how at the end of the time where you're when you face judgment, and I, I don't. It's just, it's just not going to work, is it? I, I feel it's like it's not going to work. I feel like it's like telling a, a criminal to murder someone to gain their freedom. I feel like maybe but they, you're still going to get charged they're for supposed, murder. They're <laughs> supposed to reform the boogeyman image and not scare the children, but it's always too tempting, and then they have to get another one and try again. But it never works out. The boogeyman temptation is just too great to overcome. I mean, that makes as much sense as anything. But uh, what is the, the Sandman? The Sandman is uh, the being that helps you fall asleep by sprinkling sand into your eyes, and that's what your eye boogers are in the morning. It's the Sandman sand. Really. I didn't know that. And plus, uh, there's an old song that uh, apparently he also brought some women some dreams about men, and he made them the cutest that they'd ever seen. Oh, Mr. Sandman, bring us a dream. Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream. Make him the cutest that I'd ever seen. Give him two arms so she can hold her. For lonely nights are when the nights are colder. Sandman. <laughs> You've never heard that song? No. I think that I think that one is 1950s. I'm singing Mr. Sandman. I'm singing Sandman by Estelle Getty. Never heard that. You've heard of her sister, Spag. Spag? Spag Getty? 
Yeah. <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> you are an idiot. <laughs> yeah, it oh, was... Oh, goodness. <laughs> Mr. Sandman is a song that was sung mm. by the Cordettes back in 1954. Oof. 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 I'm really excited. I'm really excited that we're going to get this in the episode now because seriously, what are they going to do? Sue us? Come on, you've had to hear this song. Okay, I feel like I have. Have you seen Back to the Future? No. The, the, the creepiest part about this song is later on, the Sandman actually speaks to them. And they're trying to be cute, but it turns out to be terrifying. Because they're like Sandman, and the Sandman's like, yes? <laughs> I feel like I've heard that tune, but I don't feel like I've heard those words. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so freaky. Oh, they really... Isn't that how we should always answer other people when they say our name? Yes. (laughs) Along with this list of people like Cupid, Sandman, Tooth Fairy, uh, are are some that I just do not understand what it is they are or what they would do. And those include Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, and Snow White. (laughs) Is there some culture in the 90s where Sleeping Beauty would come in and prick her finger on a magical weaving loom that you just so happen to have lying around your bedroom and fall asleep? I don't understand. If you get into those positions, what do you do? What do you do, Scott, if you're Sleeping Beauty? I don't know. I would take a nap. If I'm Snow White, I don't know what I would do. I would guess I would go to Disney and perform. Either that or Roger shows Catherine to her office, which is a large circular room with a few pieces of furniture. There's a TV, which Catherine can use to watch kids lose their teeth. A globe, which lights up and tells her where the toothless child is located. And a fax machine made out of an antique manual typewriter that prints the names of the children that lose their teeth. Rogers looks at this fax machine and says admiring it, that it was invented 50 years ago and still going. Catherine responds, just like you. I gotta say, for this movie, uh, for what it is and as cheesy as it is, it it has some of the best one-liners I have ever seen in any of these Mm -hmm. movies that we have watched. With that, Rogers leaves Catherine to her own devices, but she leaves with the warning, I'll be watching you. Soon, the typewriter starts typing as names come in, and this is followed by an early 90s montage as Catherine walks in place in front of a green screen as images of cities from around the world is superimposed behind her. The entire scene is set to the Beach Boys hit, I Get Around, which I feel caused lead singer of the Beach Boys, Brian Wilson, to spin in his grave, but then I looked up Brian Wilson and was shocked to learn that he is still very much alive. Really? Yeah, so maybe it just caused him to, like, spin around at some random point in the 1990s. You know what? That was so bad, I I loved it. I I really did. I look at this going, wow, this 
this just throws me back. Well, to a, because there's to like a, there's later scenes where she's in front of the green screen that made it look like she's actually flying. But in this first one, yeah. you can just tell that Christy Alley is standing there, and they're just like, "Hey, walk in place and look around, and, and be real impressed with things you pretend to see." And so she's just bobbing <laughs> up and down, going, "Ooh, look at that! Oh!" And it was great. Everything seems to be going pretty well on Catherine's first night as the Tooth Fairy until she crash lands into the bedroom of a young man named Bobby, waking the boy up. And she quickly learns that while adults cannot see her, kids can. And her and Bobby get into an argument about the validity of Catherine's claim that she is indeed the Tooth Fairy. How Bobby can see Catherine is explained later by Raoul as he says that children with their baby teeth can see her, and adults with their adult teeth cannot. You see, baby teeth represents a child's innocence, and once you lose your innocence, you lose your ability to believe in the unbelievable. While it's against the rules to be seen by any human, because Catherine was only seen by a child, she's given another chance. But if she is ever seen by an adult, game over, and she's going down. Going to the elevator. The next morning, Bobby comes down to breakfast. His handsome but absentee father is there to explain to his son why work is more important than he is and why he can't be there for his son <laughs> after school. When the dad notices, his son has a Liberty Silver Dollar in his hand. Bobby tells his dad straight-faced and as serious as a heart attack that he got it from the Tooth Fairy. Bobby's dad simply chalks up his son's potential psychotic break to grief because we learned that Bobby just lost his mama. Back in limbo, the people were playing limbo. <laughs> you know, I didn't catch that. And I was like, why are they doing this? And I didn't put two and two together until you just said that. that what else would they do in limbo? It's such a good joke. It really is. How low can you go? <laughs> as Catherine walks up and decides that now is the time to accost the Easter Bunny for handing out chocolates to kids <laughs> while this scene makes no sense whatsoever and has no bearing on the plot of the movie it's pretty funny as Jazz Noir plays in the background Catherine does her best detective impersonation and says what do you got in that basket? chocolate? just what I suspected do you have any idea what you're doing here? You shower these kids with candy. Yeah, they like it. They love it. They can't get enough of it. But it's no longer Easter, so they gotta score it someplace else. They hit the streets, corner candy stores, strip malls, gas stations. This stuff is everywhere. Chocolate, chewing gum, licorice whips. Then they go for the hard stuff. Suckers, jawbreakers. Now they're hooked. That's when they come to me. But it's too late. The damage is already done. The only thing I can do is fill their holes. You disgust me. Now hop out of my sight. <laughs> and that's just what the hop Easter Bunny does. He hops down the limbo line to take his turn, all the while checking over his shoulder. And Catherine's pretty proud of herself for fulfilling a lifelong dream she and I assume all dentists everywhere share. Telling off the Easter Bunny. On Earth, Bobby has finally made it to school. He's walking beside his chubby Asian friend who is just going to town on a candy bar in this scene. In front of the school, Bobby and Mugu Gaipan are confronted by the school's gang of bullies. 
Really? Muku Gaipan. <laughs> Guess I didn't realize that was his name. I have no idea what his name is. Although Muku Gaipan works. Who's Muku Gaipan? Bobby's uh, chubby Asian friend that's just going to town on this candy bar in this first scene. The leader of this gang is a scrawny redhead who's about a foot shorter than everyone else in the movie. He walks up and demands Bobby's money, but Bobby refuses and just takes a swing. But the bully ducks and then decks Bobby right in his stupid face. What's worse, this happened in front of Bobby's crush, Carrie. But Bobby doesn't care because the bully knocked out one of his teeth. That night, Bobby is staring at his tooth as he holds it above a notebook that he has scribbled the words... Bobby plus Carrie about 50,000 times surrounded by little hearts. And while this shows that the set designer has never met an adolescent boy before, it ultimately doesn't matter to the story. Kelsey was watching this Bobby with me. And Kelsey was watching this with me. Tree. Kelsey was watching this with me and you see that notebook with Bobby plus Carrie and hearts all over it and she looked at me and she goes, D- "Did boys actually do that when they were kids?" And I said, no, <laughs> no, not, I've never not met a child or a young male <laughs> child that has done that. And she's like, I know girls did it. And I said, yep, bet you a bottom dollar. You go look at the, the credits. Whoever designed the sets was a young female who forgot. Oh, yeah. Bobby's a, a boy in this movie. Anyways, if a boy did do that, he would they be, would they would get beat up. Bobby's dad calls just to let Bobby know that he still doesn't care about his son and he has a late meeting, so he won't be home. Frustrated, Bobby throws his tooth and hangs up the phone. That night, uh, or later that night, Catherine makes it back to Bobby's room and the two get into an argument when she learns that Bobby's tooth is missing. When they both calm down again, uh, or excuse me, when they both calm down again, Bobby asks Catherine if she really is the tooth fairy. Naturally, Catherine turns her head into a massive T Rex head, which really doesn't answer the question. I thought the same thing. I just if thought. If I wasn't, could I do this? Why should the tooth fairy be able to do that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is, it's not like it's the boogeyman. <laughs> I would expect that out of the boogeyman. That's a great point, Scott. How often does the tooth fairy need to change her head into a giant dinosaur? <laughs> and they did that effect for so long. Like for 10 oh, straight seconds, they just. Focused on her, and she's like, <laughs> They're proud of that, that CGI they put together. It's so stupid. Oh. But what world do we live in, though? The, the Tooth Fairy doesn't do that. But, she's not supposed to be seen by anybody, so I'm, that even confuses it even more. But do you, well, you realize but... the implication that Raul, in between training her how to fly, was also like, here's a neat trick? You remember back in 91 when <laughs> Jurassic Park came out? Look, like, look what we could do. <laughs> but when Catherine finally puts her head right, <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but that is funny. Okay. Uh, but eventually, after the T Rex head uh, uh, incident, Bobby asks Catherine how to get Carrie to notice him. Catherine tells the kid to be confident and to be sensitive because women love sensitive guys in the 90s. The next day, Bobby psychs himself up and asks Carrie if he can walk her home from school. And she says yes. The next day, Bobby catches up with his friend, Beef Lo Maine, as they walk to school. 
And Crab Rangoon tells Bobby that he lost his molar, and he's planning on putting it in his brother's cereal. Instead, Bobby asks for his friend's tooth. When asked why, well, Bobby tells him it's so he can see the tooth fairy again. That night, Catherine comes to Bobby and gives him more advice to win Carrie's heart. After telling Bobby to carry Carrie's books and compliment her sweater, Catherine asks if his dad is home. Bobby says no, and so, naturally again, which is almost, the next thing that happens is almost as weird as her turning her head into a giant Tyrannosaurus Rexes. Uh, she offers to tuck in and sing this 12-year-old boy a lullaby, which he eagerly accepts. He needs He's a motherless. He needs a mom. If that- Christy Alley offered that to you, would you accept? No. Yes, sir. I mean, uh... <laughs> I'm- okay. So, after singing the lullaby to Bobby and tucking him in, Catherine goes back to limbo where she just happens to run into her childhood dentist as he's going to heaven. The old dentist tells Catherine that he heard that almost no one gets into heaven after being the tooth fairy, but he's sure that Catherine's going to make the cut. Catherine's like, hey, my dad was a dentist. Where's he at? Well, it turns out his, her dad's already in heaven. He barely stayed in limbo. The old dentist climbs to the top of the stairs where he's given wings before fading from view. I have a problem with this scene, because if you get thrown to hell, you get locked in an elevator with a bunch of guards, and you get a five-piece brass band playing the funeral march, and it's a big to-do. But if you go to heaven, you're, you're just in a polo and a pair of khakis, and you have to walk yourselves up a flight of stairs with no fanfare? That- doesn't hardly seem right, does it? I mean, at least have, like, a boombox there. Or a harp. <laughs> Something. A boombox would be pretty 90s appropriate. They're very appropriate. I want a boombox with early 90s Will Smith clean rap on it. Whoo! Ha-ha! Is, is there such a thing? When you're walking up the steps and you go to heaven, everybody's like... Up, oh, that's number 11, because 10 people went to heaven that day, and you're number 11. Hee hee! Ha ha hey! Woo! I. I Luke, I don't even know what to say. Now I want that more These than singing anything. singing montages are. That was a pretty good Will Smith early 90s rap impersonation. I don't care what you say. That was real good for off the cuff. Hey, do you have a rap for the elevator? So you've been real bad at your tooth fairy job, and now you're going down. Ha ha, he he hob. (laughs) (laughs) Ha ha, he he hob. (laughs) So the dentist, you know, he's in heaven now. Later, Catherine confronts Jules about why she's in limbo. Clearly, it isn't, as Roger said, because she was a dentist. Jules tells her that she is there because she never allowed herself to love anyone. And before you say, wait a second, Catherine loved her dad. Jules tells us vehemently that dads don't count. Which hurt. That hurt. That hurt. Right here. You're supposed to love your dad. At school the next day, the bullies are picking on Bobby for believing in the tooth fairy. It turns out beef and broccoli can't keep his beef... <laughs> <laughs> Turns out beef and broccoli can't keep his big mouth shut. So Bobby does the rational thing and after school beats the snot out of his buddy for being a snitch. 
Because as we all know, snitches get stitches. Snitches get stitches. But General So tells Bobby that he couldn't help telling. After all, he got an awesome Liberty Silver Dollar, and in the 90s, that was the coolest thing a kid could have. And Carrie catches up with Bobby and professes a skeptical belief in Bobby's story. And when Bobby tells Carrie that the Tooth Fairy gives advice, she goes home and defaces herself by pulling a tooth. When Catherine arrives in Carrie's room that night, the little girl wakes up and asks Catherine for her help getting to biology camp because she wants to become a doctor. You see, her parents can't afford the camp, but there's a scholarship she could win if she passes this test. To this, all Catherine does is tell her to be smarter than men and become a plastic surgeon so that Carrie can fix Catherine's nose. It's not advice. It's not helpful. <laughs> and it's not even probable because Catherine is a dead woman. But the scene's over, and the movie moves on, and so shall I. Amen. Word is spreading across town that the Tooth Fairy is helpful, and more and more kids are pulling their teeth. In the meantime, Catherine is falling for Bobby's dad, and she's getting more and more frustrated that she can't be seen. So there's a scene where Catherine is pining over Bobby's dad as he is continuing to not spend time with his son, but instead eating breakfast by himself in a restaurant. Um where she sits next to him, and she can't be seen. She's, she's a dead lady. But she picks up a piece of toast and puts it right in front of his face and is like, you want some toast? How moronic is Bobby's dad that there is a levitating piece of toast right in front of his face, and he just, oh, that's just normal here. That's just normal here at Paranormal Pete's breakfast and, and dinner. You've never seen a levitating piece of toast? No. I've seen them all the time. Mainly when my wife's throwing them at me. But it is kind of funny when the kid walks by and says towards Grandma, Hey, Grandma, look at that girl in that silly dress. And the Grandma goes, mm-hmm. That is not nice to say to a to a, a nice gentleman. She's lost her baby teeth, her adult teeth, and two pairs of dentures. She can't see the Tooth Fairy. Besides that, she's half-blind. Back on Earth, the bullies still don't believe in the Tooth Fairy. But Bobby tells them that they can see her if they lose a tooth. So the bullies say, you know what we should do right now? Let's just punch each other right in the face. Let's knock some of our teeth out. And they get into a fist fight. Good plan. And not only do the bullies, who are the only ones fighting, but Bobby also gets taken to the principal's office. And Bobby's the only one that gets yelled at. Because he has the audacity to believe in the Tooth Fairy. And so the principal's like, I'm going to have to call your dad. Why? Why is believing in the Tooth Fairy a punishable offense? Because if it wasn't... He's causing a ruckus. He's not causing nothing. He's causing... He's inciting violence. Can I ask you a serious question? Have you ever seen a child with a more Uh, thicker head of hair than the kid that plays Bobby? He does have a pretty... Yeah. That kid had hair for days. I didn't know if his head was just big or what. It's just hair. He could go bald three times. (laughs) (laughs) so yeah principal calls the dad and then the weirdest scene in the entire movie happens because the dad comes home and he gets out of the car and we've seen the dad talk a few times but for some reason at this point in the movie the guy that's playing the dad decides that the best choice for this scene is for him to to pretend he's elvis presley doing a dramatic reading because it's just the strangest strangest choice out of any actor I've ever seen. 
Because he walks up to his son and he's just like, Bobby, why didn't you tell me you were having trouble in school? <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating that. It is the wonderful world of Disney. But nobody else is talking like that. Just him's like, Bobby, why didn't you tell me you were having trouble in school? He was impassioned. And, uh, but Bobby's, you know, upset that his dad doesn't believe him. And then the weirdness continues. Because that night, the dad's trying to figure out, you know, why is my son so messed up? I know, it's because you're not spending time with him. But he he's decides that instead of coming to that conclusion logically by himself, he's going to instead talk to a picture of his dead wife. And a, and a slow piano riff starts to play in the background, almost like the introduction to, like, a slow jam from the late 80s, early 90s. And then he says words as if he's about ready to sing a slow jam. Because the dad's on the bed and he's just like, Anna, I'll miss you, girl. <laughs> Anna, I'll miss you, girl. I wish you were here to tell me just what to say to Bobby. <laughs> it's, am I wrong? It's the weirdest thing. I did not find it as weird as uh, you found it, evidently. And then he told her, or told him he was nothing but a hound dog. <laughs> Meanwhile, Catherine is just watching this entire thing happen, unfold in the corner, as the dad stands up and just starts to slowly and deliberately undress. I mean, he's taking his time. I, I take off a button-up shirt twice every Sunday, but never once have I ever stood in my bedroom and, like, just real carefully removed every button. Catherine's like, oh, he's getting naked. I better watch. But then Jules catches her and drags her back to limbo. And the next day, her in class the next day, one of the bullies loses a tooth while chewing some taffy. <sighs> this movie has taffy in it. <laughs> I think I've seen taffy in real life like three times. And all of them have been in, like, a weird candy dish that my grandma had, along with some, like, mints that old people always have really, in their you pockets. Really, you could buy it at, like, the pumpkin show and the fair. There used to be, a, almost at every fair, there used to be somebody who had, like, one of those taffy machines. They, were, they would make it out in front of you. And then you could chew it and lose all your teeth. But when I'm at the pumpkin show, I, I'm getting pumpkin rolls and pumpkin pies and pumpkin milkshakes. I'm like, Well, you're right, but they still had it. I'm not sitting there going, man, you know what I, I need to go to the pumpkin show for? A piece of banana Laffy Taffy. That's what I need. <laughs> it's probably Laffy Taffy's fault that they put him out of business. So anyways, he loses his tooth and some taffy. Bobby immediately invites all three bullies to his house for a sleepover to meet the tooth fairy. Because Bobby and the bullies are friends now. He forgives easily. Hey, you know what? That typically happens after you punch somebody in the face. I mean, I remember in high school, some of the biggest fights I ever saw in my life... These two would just beat the dog snot out of each other, and then they'd shake hands, and they'd be friends after that. Dude, me and my best friend could not spend the night together without getting into at least one fist fight. <laughs> yeah. Like, every night. But that's the thing. I was friends with him before I got there. I hated him for a little bit. We beat each other up, and then we felt bad that we beat each other up and hugged it out. I never once hated somebody... Got into a fight with them, and then was like, hey, you guys want to come spend the night at my house? That's not how the progression <laughs> of violence works. You weren't a very good friend then, were you? 
it, it doesn't make sense, but I don't care. She Her head turned into a Tyrannosaurus. So that night, the bullies are waiting around bored, wondering when the Tooth Fairy's going to show up, when suddenly, poof, Catherine appears. Two of the three bullies are amazed that the Tooth Fairy is really real. But one bully, Jeff, cannot see her. You see, Jeff has lost all his baby teeth, so he lost his innocence and the ability to see Catherine. When she explains this to the other boys, the main bully says what may be the funniest line, not only in this movie, but any movie I have ever seen. I laughed at this line so hard because it was just, it was perfect. The delivery was perfect. It was awesome. So she's like, oh, he lost his innocence, so he can't see me. And the main bully goes, Jeff lost, oh, you're saying Jeff lost his innocence? Cool. (laughs) (laughs) But then Catherine turns the one bully's tooth into a coin. Ding, ding, ba ding, ding. Magic. Thank you for the most you've said in any point in this entire episode. That is not true. That is not true. Once the bullies are convinced that the Tooth Fairy is a reality and she is willing to help kids with their problems, the tooth floodgates open wide. Kids are pulling their teeth left and right. She's helping Egg Foo Young get into shape and teaching (laughs) Carrie biology, which allows Carrie to pass a test and get a scholarship to biology camp. Soon the local newspapers start publishing stories about the tooth loss pandemic and this made me really sad only because it made me to remember the, the six years. No, I spent nine years in the 90s. The nine years I spent in the 90s where front page stories in local towns could be about a bunch of kids losing teeth. The world was different before 9-11. So newspapers pointing all these tooth law or printing all these stories about the tooth loss pandemic. And unfortunately, these stories alert three moms who joined together to form the, the ultimate, ultimate character. I'll add echo effect later. Uh, the UKB. They demand that Bobby is removed from the school to stop these kids from pulling their baby teeth out. But before that story comes to a head, Catherine comes to Earth in broad daylight to celebrate Carrie's good news. And Bobby just gets irrationally jealous at this. And all the kids swarm around Catherine. The, the, the UKB is thinking that, that Bobby's inciting a riot, even though Bobby is not even anywhere near these kids because he's off sulking in the corner. And they're like, look, this Bobby kid has to go. She has to go. He has to go, not she has to go. But before Catherine can confront Bobby's irrationality, Jules comes down to Earth to grab Catherine and tells her that she has to get back up to limbo or down to limbo or middle to limbo. I don't know where it is. But she's going nonetheless. And tells her that it is time for her judgment. The next thing we know, Karen stands before the judgment board, headed by Joe, 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 and Joe. (laughs) I don't know why, but that made me laugh. There's like five old people. They're all named Joe. 
then this council is immediately against her because she broke the rules. And so they're denying her entrance into heaven. This makes Rogers, who's acting as bailiff at this trial, cheer. She's super happy about this. While Catherine starts begging. The council ends up giving her one more week to clean up her act. But one more infraction. She's done. Back in her office, Catherine is watching the Karen Brigade berate Bobby's father for, their, or for his son's crimes of believing in the Tooth Fairy. The principal is there, and he bends to the will of the Karens and expels Bobby. But Catherine isn't going to stand idly by as this happens, and she asks Jules to teach her how to be visible in front of adults. And Jules is like, I'm not going to teach you that. And Catherine's like, you taught me how to turn my head into a Tyrannosaurus. Teach me how to do this. And he's like, well, you got a point. Fine. And she <laughs> then heads down to Earth to save Bobby. For some reason, they're all on the stage of the school. Not explained, but that's where they're at. <laughs> Maybe they were getting ready for a musical. And Bobby's friends rush to Bobby's defense. And then Catherine appears on this makeup stand, this lighted mirror that actors use, and there's a little kid that's dressed as Satan and another little kid that's dressed as an angel right beside her. Again, unexplained. But it's there. <laughs> <laughs> and so she appears, the kids are all excited, and Catherine says that she's going to reveal herself to Karen and the principals. But it doesn't work. At least not at first. She keeps on trying. And when the kids and Catherine have all given up hope, poor Jeff is still in the crowd wondering what in the heck is happening because he still can't see the Tooth Fairy. She gives Bobby a hug. <laughs> and then magically she appears. And all the parents are shocked to see that the Tooth Fairy is real. And Bobby is vindicated. Then Jules and Rogers appear, and Rogers drags Catherine back to limbo. As she's being pulled away, she tells Bobby that she loves him. And I realized that if this was had like a gender swap word-for-word -word remake, and it was a man looking out to a young lady named Bobby, and they're pulling a man back to limbo, and the man's like, Oh, Bobby, I love you! This would be problematic! <laughs> <sighs> but back in limbo, Catherine is dragged immediately to the elevator. Catherine's begging for her soul as the bland, or as the band picks up their their Chopin or Chopin, and and Jules and 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 Catherine share this tender gaze as the button is pressed and Bonnie Tyler's version of Heartache plays, <laughs> which fits so well for some reason. And then the movie makes another strange choice as it decides to play the entire movie from the start in black and white at two times speed. <laughs> Every scene from this movie, you see a brief glimpse of it as, as, as neon lights numbered seven to zero, which that was a pretty clever nod to Dante. I see you movie. Dante's Inferno, Seven Levels of Hell. Scott, did you catch that? Mm-hmm. From seven to zero, as we're just watching the movie again. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of this montage, it fades to, to, to white again, 
and Catherine wakes up laying in the street. Only this time she has survived her accident. Jules is there. So all working as a flower shop guy. And, and he's like, hey, Catherine. He gives her some flowers and says, you're given a second chance. So no, it wasn't a dream, Scott. It wasn't a dream. It was real. Jules was there. It was a dream. And she looks in the middle of the road. And there's Rogers, meanwhile, dressed up as a police officer, directing traffic. And she mouths to Catherine, I'll be watching you. Rogers wasn't so bad in the end. Catherine makes it back to her practice, and Bobby's in the chair for some reason. And they recognize each other as, quote, old friends. Then Catherine pulls Bobby's last baby tooth. And Bobby forgets all of what he and Catherine had done in the past. Then Bobby's dad walks in, and of course he does remember Catherine because he saw her as an adult. And the two spend about six minutes just staring at each other and making different faces. Some say love. And then Bobby, Catherine hands Bobby his, his last baby tooth and says, you better put that under the pillow so the tooth fairy can get it. And he's like, I don't believe in the tooth fairy. And his dad's just completely cool with that response, even though he just had to save his son from being expelled for believing in the tooth fairy five minutes ago. This movie's dumb. <laughs> Actually, the moral of the movie, for all you parents listening, is go ahead about the age of six and just pull all your child's teeth. I mean, I'm doing that tonight, and he's only three. Yeah, just get rid of him. And so after they stare at each other, Catherine runs out like a crazy lady and invites both of them to a baseball game. And instead of doing the responsible thing, going, look, you are psychotic. You were just in my child's mouth pulling out his teeth. Now you want to see a baseball game with us? No. No, they don't do that because Bobby's dad is horrible. He's a bad actor and a bad dad. And he's like, oh, a baseball game sounds great. <laughs> Some say love. And as they leave the office together, it's revealed that Cupid had something to do with this. Oh! As a bald, middle-aged man in red flannel long johns and a sash decorates with heart or decorated with hearts crosses something off his list. We then see Catherine escort Bobby and his dad out to the car as Catherine's voiceover says, seems clear to me that Dad had used some of his connections in limbo to pull a few strings. It's funny, no matter how hard you try, you can't close your heart forever. Challenge accepted, Christy Alley. Challenge accepted. <laughs> and the minute- and what's the deal with Cupid? Why would you shoot someone with an air? With an air? I mean, have you seen- With an air, air, arrow? Have you seen anything ever shot with an arrow? I mean, they're not. Every time I go thinking, hunting, I'm gonna die. Every time I go hunting, I shoot a deer with an arrow. They fall madly in love with me as they bleed out. Um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. These are special arrows. They're love arrows that infect people with love. Yes. Horrible disease. You can't close your heart forever. And the minute you open it up, you never know what's gonna come in. But when it does, you just go for it. Because if you don't, and you gotta trust me on this one, but there's no point in being here. 
Then Catherine steals a poor pedestrian's rose that he's carrying and just dances for a bit as we fade to credits. Wow. I had a big problem with her taking that guy's rose. Hey, when you're the tooth fairy, you can steal. Roses aren't cheap. And if I buy a dozen roses, my wife's getting a dozen roses. I don't care if some harlot's dancing on the streets in a good mood. Give me back my rose. What's wrong with you? There's a flower shop right there. Go get your own rose. Alrighty, let's get yeah. let's end this travesty. Let's take this horse out behind the shed and shoot it in its head right between the eyes. Here, that's one way to say it. At the Rotten or Righteous podcast, we rate all of our movies according to the Stinky Snake Scale, also called the Sep Scale, in which we look at four different categories, give them a rating on a scale of one to twenty-five, average all that snot up together. And we give it a letter grade. All that snot up together? All that stuff up together, and then we give it a letter grade. Our first category is scriptural accuracy. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Luke. Kind of missed the mark on this one. Hi, Luke. Uh, Hey, Luke, would you you please give us your rating uh, on scriptural accuracy on a scale of 1 to 25, Uh, if you don't mind? Would you please do that for us, sir? Well, since you asked, um... <laughs> why is your hand over your eyes like this is the most difficult question you've been asked in a while? It is. Is it? I don't leave my house. People don't ask me questions. Um, as far as the biblical accuracy <laughs> of this movie, um, I would say I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it like a like a twelve. Uh, they had heaven. They had a heaven and a hell. Mm-hmm. They had a judgment day. They had, that seems pretty biblical And they to had me. the elevator. And they had an elevator straight that out, only went down. Straight out of Daniel. Limbo is not exactly, as I understand it, biblical. I don't think limbo is biblical. Do you, what do you guys think? Well, no. No. I don't... No. No. Oh, thanks for that input. Okay. Scott... Hey, there's a difference in 12 between what I gave it. So the question is, did I give it a big fat zero or a 24? (laughs) I gave it a big fat zero. How? Just because they mentioned heaven and hell. We gave Gladiator a 25 last week. (laughs) There was no Bible in it. Okay. There's heaven and hell in this one. Yes, but it's not It's not scripturally accurate. You're telling me we don't all get a personal judgment day in front of Joe, 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 and Joe? That's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so what I'm saying. <laughs> we're not going to ride a elevator, and we're not going to have to climb the steps. <laughs> yeah, I- I'm with you. I'm going to give it a five, because it does have heaven and hell in it. Um, judgment is mentioned. There's this big confusion that happens in a lot of these movies that people think that when you die, you either go straight to heaven or straight to hell. But the only mm-hmm. biblical precedence we have is that there is a waiting area in between. However, the Bible makes it pretty clear that when you're in the waiting area, you don't get a job or another chance to redeem yourself. Once you're, I kind of hope once you're, maybe I could get a, like a cool job. 
I mean, like, if I if I wake up in the Hadean realm and I'm in torment, and I know that I'm going to go to hell, I'd be like, hey, do you mind if I just, you know, be the tooth fairy for a little while? I know it won't change anything, but come on, let me get out of here. Abraham be like, no, you, I'm, you sit right there. Lazarus <laughs> is the tooth fairy. He gets to do cool flying stuff. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's very much... If you had five minutes of Catholic theology, and then you were asked to write a paper on the afterlife, that's what the writer of this movie <laughs> came up with. I, I'm going to give it a five. Which brings us to entertainment value. Did you at least enjoy watching this movie? Luke, please grace us with your answer. Uh, no, I did not enjoy this movie, to be honest. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't horrible. I mean, it kind of kept my my interest for a few parts of it so uh i'd give it like i'd give it like a seven okay scott i gave it a 24 this threw what? me back in this threw me back <laughs> scott just I has absolutely... all the extremes it's either zero or it's <laughs> i love this movie i mean there's no scriptural accuracy to it but it it threw me back into my childhood, like on Sunday night when we would come home from church. There was always a wonderful world of Disney movie that was on. And this is just, this is what it was. And I loved it. Kirstie Alley was in it. And I just, like I said, I used to love her back in the 80s and 90s. I loved it. I loved every bit of it. <laughs> Zach, would you uh, mind telling us your rating for the entertainment value? I'm going to give it a 16. It had some very funny jokes and one-liners in it. More so than I remember being traumatized by this film as a child. So, I'll 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 give it a 16. It was pretty it was fairly entertaining. As far as the B-rated drivel just terribleness that we watch on this show, this is the best B-rated movie we've watched so far. That's probably true. You want to change your rating, Luke? No, no. I mean, the Mass Saint was still more entertaining, but that was that's probably a B movie. I mean, it wasn't, but it's fine. Uh, the next one we do like is uh, Parental <laughs> Control. Would you uh, Would you watch this with your grandma, Lucas? Uh, I give it like a. I could give it like a 15 for two reasons. There there are some like s- interesting, weird sexual references in it. Um, like when he talks about losing his innocence and then she's like creeping on him as he's undressing. And, now hold on just uh, and a then, second. Like, Look, the, you gotta uh, you got to stop just for a second because the way you just said that made this movie much darker than it actually is. Yes, she made a joke what? about a young child losing his innocence. But then she watched the adult father undress. She wasn't watching Bobby get down and dirty down into his his, his granimals. Yes, that's true. <laughs> hey, Luke, to the I pure, all things are pure. <laughs> I gave it a 20, and there's absolutely nobody that I wouldn't watch this movie with. I'd watch it with everybody. Uh, I'm going to give it a 10. I'm going to give it what? a 10. <laughs> Okay. I mean, 
I think it's like the adult jokes that they sneak into Pixar movies. Um, where, you know, a kid's watching this and they're not going to pick up on some of these jokes. But does that make it right? No. Yes. Jesus tells me to become like a child. So I'm stealing my kid's baby teeth and shoving them in my gums. First chance I get. Um... I just had a terrible mental image. <laughs> what are you talking about? Shove them in your gums? Then you'll have like 64 teeth. I'm going to make my dentures out of my son's baby teeth. Um, just, just have tiny little very far spaced out teeth. I don't know. I'm going to give it a 10. Some of the jokes were a little crass. Okay. And it was made for kids. I mean, this is a kid's movie. And there's a lot of mature topics that are discussed for a kid's movie. If it was if it was marketed towards adults, then it would have been a higher rating. But because this is meant for kids and families, uh, 10. All right, finally, Luke, uh, uh, should you see it? Was there any merit to this movie? Uh, nah, no. I mean, I... I really wouldn't suggest anyone watch it and I for entertainment or discussion. Uh I'm gonna give it a five. Scott. I gave it a twenty. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> We're all over the map on this one, guys. I would. I'd refer it to people to watch. It's just I, I don't know. I just I found it to be a fun movie. It uh it reminded me of days going by, and uh, I, I enjoyed it. I would tell people to watch it. <laughs> I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it another ten. It was it was entertaining to watch, but the whole point of this right here is is am I getting something from it? I mean, what am I gonna discuss uh, about this that that that'll bring up a good point? Hey, here's my discussion. Well, what do you think happens when we die? Not this. Not this. <laughs> totally not this at all. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, but I'd give it a 10. There's a few things you could talk about it, but it's not like... It's not like youth group appropriate where you can get something out of it and have a long biblical discussion afterwards. All right, so once all the final scores were tallied, Scott... Came in real high this week with a 64, which means that he gave this movie a C. Luke had the lowest score with a 39, which I do believe is an F minus. And I gave it a 41, which is an F minus as well. But the total score is a 48, which, according to our grading scale... And here at the Rotten and Righteous Podcast, we do use Carleton University's grading scale. Go Ravens. Uh, it scored a 48%, <laughs> which is an F+. So take that to the bank. Which kind of surprises me. I didn't think it was going to get that low. I thought we were at least looking at a D movie, but F+, plus it is. Next week, the Rotten and Righteous Podcast is going to go back to our childhoods and watch another... Well, kids movie. I'm talking about the 2002 film titled Jonah, a Veggie Tales movie. Oh, I quit. <laughs>
Okay, this right, looks like an actual trailer. I'll be on my way in the morning. What? Nineveh? You don't want me to go Nineveh. there. Nineveh! Nineveh! land of mystery. Nineveh! It's the other end of the world! <laughs> in a town full of trouble. Nineveh, the biggest, meanest city around. Those people do not know right from wrong. It's up to one reluctant asparagus. You are a Jonah. You are a big shot. I have the Jonah plush toy. What? With the help of some <laughs> fearless friends. We are the pirates who don't do anything. Oh, you'll know that's right. Nothing. Zilch. Nada. Oh, lovely. To go where no vegetable has dared to go. We got trouble. No, we got trouble. Fish food. Big Idea Productions presents... Archibald Asparagus. Bob the Tomato. Oh, dear. Larry the Cucumber. Perhaps I can be of assistance. Oops. And introducing a caterpillar named Kali. He's not a vegetable. My mother was a caterpillar. My father was a worm. But I am okay with that now. They may be fresh. Ah, they're fresh when we cut them. <laughs> they may be feisty. Didn't I tell you to get off my ship, you lousy leaf eater? Firewood! But soon, they may be lunch. <laughs> Jonah, a VeggieTales movie. Biblical accuracy, 25. Only in theaters. It is very delightful, but I must go now. Da, 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 da. For rotten or righteous, forgot again. Hey, remember to obey your parents, say your prayers. For rotten or righteous, I'm Zach Geiler. And I'm Juba Cornelius. And I'm General Sos. <laughs> hey, before we go, a cop pulls over a vehicle on the freeway. There are three little old ladies in the car. Why were you driving only 20 miles an hour? He asked the driver. I, I was just going the posted speed limit. She points to a sign up ahead. The officer corrects her. That's not the speed limit sign. That's a sign for Highway Route 20. Well, we tried to tell you, Sheila, says one of the passengers. The cop takes another look at the old woman and sees that they are wide-eyed and disheveled. One of them is tightly gripping the door handle, white-knuckled. What's the matter? The cop asks. Oh, we just came off Interstate 120. <laughs> Good night, everybody. She was watching this with me and you see that notebook with Bobby plus Carrie and hearts all over it. And she looked at me and she goes, did boys actually do that when they were kids? And I said, no, <laughs> no, not. I've never not met a child or a young male <laughs> child that has done that. And she's like, I know girls did it. And I said, yep. Bet you a bottom dollar. You go look at the, the credits. Whoever designed the sets was a young female who forgot. Oh, yeah. Bobby's a, a boy in this movie. Anyways, if a boy did do that. He would they be... Would, they would get beat up. Well, not only that, but if I walked in my son's room and saw his name plus a little girl's name and a bunch of hearts everywhere, I'd look through the rest of the notebook, and I bet you I'd find a bunch of, like, Dahmer-esque 
drawings of decapitated animals, and I'd go behind the shed in our backyard and just find the neighbor's cat disemboweled there as he takes his first steps to becoming the killer from Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably what would happen. Then so all you parents listening to this, if you see that with your child, your son, and then I'll be like, you need to take quick action.